Hello, and welcome back to the Thoracic Oncology Assembly serial podcast regarding lung cancer screening. Today, Drs. Wiener Rivera and I will talk about nodule diagnosis and cancer treatment. We're going to discuss when, why, and what diagnostic procedures to perform and what to do with the results. Let's jump right back into our conversation. So um, most guidelines recommend that surgically eligible patients with a high pretest probability for lung cancer undergo surgical resection without the need for a biopsy. And most patients in a screen program will likely fall in this high pretest probability group since most will have large enough nodules to have a high likelihood of cancer and or have nodules that have uh, grown on serial CAT scans. And so, Patricia, what do you, what do, you do in your program and, and why? Um, I am a firm believer that if the pretest probability of cancer is high, the nodule should be removed without the need for um, a, a biopsy. But uh, it's not so much the pretest probability because this is a smoker who got a screening CT. I really very much depend on the characteristic findings of the nodule. Um, and I think if there's a speculated upper lobe, one centimeter um, nodule with you know tending to the pleura, um, and it's hypermetabolic on PET, I I, I don't um, recommend biopsy. And, you know, I can count in one hand the number of, of cases that have gone to surgery for benign nodules in 20 years. Now, to me, that's high <laughs> because it should be zero, right? But... Um, I, I, it, and it's always, you know, I doubted it, but the nodule you can't get to, right? It, it's very central in the lobe. It was before we were doing navigational bronchoscopy. The risk of a percutaneous may be too high. Um, but I really believe that if you use the, you know, Bayesian analysis and, and not just the clinical risks, but the radiographic features of the nodule, in, in many cases, you can feel very comfortable with that decision. I think the decision for me is harder um, when it comes to ground glass nodules. Um, mixed GGOs are easy, right? I mean, those are rarely when is a mixed GGO not an adenocarcinoma with lipidic features. Um, I think the smooth nodules, um, the cavitating nodules, those are the tough ones, right? Is it a squamous cell? Could it be? you know, uh, uh, an infectious or necrotizing granuloma. Um, or patients, you know, the, I struggle with the patient has rheumatoid arthritis and is a smoker or, you know, oh, my gosh, is that a, an RA nodule or is that a, a small um, squamous cell cancer? But I think most of the time the the CT imaging is, um, is very helpful along with the clinical risks. Um, I have to say, though, that... Our surgeons, and I don't know if this is your experience, are really leaning more toward wanting to know um, in certain in, in i I feel that I guess it's a sense I get that we're moving toward uh, we should document that it's cancer before we go to surgery, and that our a t s postgraduate course I don't know if either one of you was was there last year, but one of the surgeons from uh, Sloan Kettering. Um, or an interventional pulmonologist maybe from Sloan Kettering made that comment that that sort of in throughout New York that sort of have become that has become the the um, the preferred approach you know document that or prove that it is malignant before surgical resection hmm. and, and so, what are you doing in your program um you know I think there's Maybe some more variability than that. I think it um, depends on, 
you know, who, which uh, doctor is, is seeing the patient as to um, the degree to which they want to from the diagnosis before going to surgery. I think still there is the um, the preference to kind of, you know, take somebody who's, who has a high enough pretest probability directly to the OR. But again, I think it's another matter where um, incorporating the patient's preferences is, is important, you know, in terms of um, whether they're comfortable with going straight to the OR or whether they um, feel like, you know, they want to know, <laughs> you know, or they want to at least try to confirm whether or not it's cancer before they do that. Yeah, and it does seem um, uh, that there's a fair amount of variability in that, like how many people, you know, with, uh, again, pretty high pretest probabilities get biopsies out there. And I've, I've heard from other programs, you know, where, you know, it's similar to, uh, uh, Patricia, what you were saying, that a lot of places, you know, a lot of surgeons really want a biopsy first. Right. So it's just, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting as, you know, kind of screening goes along to kind of, um, you know, figure out what are the uh, motivating factors behind that variability. And do you, do you have a sense, Renda, so it sounds like you, you're seeing kind of more variability just in your practice. So I'm just curious, do you have a sense of what's driving that variability? Do you think it's all just, uh, you know, sort of surgical preference? Do you think um, there's or there's other more, you know, sort of systemic or systematic factors that, that may be involved? Um, no, I think it's more a matter of the individual's preference, both the, mostly the individual provider and, and, you know, what their usual practice is and in other cases. I'm basing this on, um, you know, the qualitative interviews that, that we did together, uh, Chris, with um, pulmonologists um, that it seemed a lot up to the individual's preference, you know, the degree to which they wanted to use biopsy first before going to surgery. Um, obviously, again, another situation where it's not based on any clear evidence, you know, yeah. what the right approach is. Yeah. And I haven't got a feeling either from, you know, my patients, you know, here or sort of talking to people that it's really a patient-driven uh, sort of phenomena. But I'm just, do you think that's true? I think it should be a situation where... <laughs> I think it's becoming. That's a different question. I didn't ask that question. I don't <laughs> phenomenon. No, I don't. <laughs> I do, but you know, I think it's becoming more. I've that's my sense. Um, in the last two to three years, I think patients are a lot more engaged. You know, I I had a patient where I I recommended a navigational bronch because. I was just convinced that this was a benign nodule, um, despite its angry-looking appearance and no improvement after antibiotics three months later. And she refused. She said, I want this out. I had thyroid cancer. They biopsied me twice. They told me it was negative. And it was a necrotizing granuloma. Um, and she had, um, uh, thank goodness, minor, but she had a minor post-operative complication. Um, and I could not convince her to undergo a navigational bronchoscopy, um, which is fine. I mean, I think that's the importance of the discussion, right? Um, but it, and I find that more and more, you know, patients have much more information available. They can access this information. There's just, you know, they're overwhelmed with with uh, information about nodules and cancer and non-smokers and every nodule that they're... To, I think in the years to come, we will see that patients may actually be more engaged in, I, I want a biopsy or I don't want a biopsy, not the physician making the decision. 
Mm-hmm. And I agree with Renda. I think a well-informed patient um, should be very much involved in that decision-making. Yeah. That's my sense, too, that it probably should be. I think it is a um, sort of one of those a value-sensitive judgment that's probably uh, best, uh, you know, where shared decision-making is, you know, sort of more helpful. So, Renda, just to, you know, switch gears a little bit, um, so you've, you've, you know, looked at this a little bit, and you've found that there's wide geographic variation in biopsy rates and complications. And so mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, curious what is, you know, what is the cause of that variation, and how should screening programs be evaluated or, or monitored on both their rate of biopsies and their rate of complications? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, that finding that, that we had, as well as, you know, Nicole's finding, really highlights the fact that, um that there's not consensus out there on what the single best way to manage patients is, um, and there's a lot of variability. Um, so again, it's hard to say for a screening program, you know, what is the right, you know, quote unquote, right level of invasive procedures to be done. I, I don't think we really know the answer to that. Um, I do think it's something we should be considering um, in terms of how often we're doing it. Um, and the complication rates in our own programs as a as a quality assessment tool, um, but it is hard to know you know what the benchmark should be. You know we have a certain benchmark for uh, utilization of procedures and complication rates based on the NLST, but I think that's probably um, not realistic. But we'll be able to achieve that in you know the real world in community centers, you know outside of of major academic centers. Um, I think, you know, that's one benchmark. I'm not sure it's the right benchmark. Hmm. Patricia, are you guys, are you uh, evaluating that in your program, or do you have thoughts on what, a, you know, sort of a benchmark, what, what a individual program should aim for? Um, I don't. I don't. I don't have a sense of what what we should be optimally aiming for. Obviously, it should be, you know, resect all malignant nodules in a timely fashion, and don't resect the the benign nodules. And and I I am a fan of less procedures. I'll have to be honest with you. I think we we really have evolved into a, a too many procedure um, kind of specialty, but. But that it is what it is, and and these technologies are very good. And when they're done by by well trained individuals, you get results. Um, we have, um, and it, and it's it's not really oh you know did everyone have the right procedure? But we we have uh, an M M&M, and um, bronchoscopy procedure M M&M, and M that I run every three months, where we discuss all of the complications, pneumothorax, you know whatever it may be during a procedure, um, and I use that time to to um discuss diagnostic uh, findings during the procedure. Um to you know sometimes we do you know x y and z transbronchial biopsies for this disease process that disease process. Well, how often are we really making a diagnosis and how often are we having complications because we did this procedure that yielded no diagnosis. So we do that within the pulmonary division. Um Within our multidisciplinary um, program, we we don't have enough time. You know, the conference is designed to really uh, have a treatment plan or a diagnostic plan um, and discuss complex cases. So we don't have time to really talk about, um, hey, you know, we sent this patient for a surgery and it turned out to be benign and she had this complication. Um, I wish we did because I think those are really important learning points. You know, every time we we, we visit those issues, we all learn. 
Um, but I just think we've all gotten so busy and there's so much to do that there isn't enough time to do that. Um, we're trying to figure out how to do that, again, through our registry, we're tracking. So we're tracking um, the lung rats recommendations, the the follow-up. Uh, was it done based on the recommendations by the, radiology and the radiologist in the report? What procedure was done? So th that's all incorporated into our registry, but it's going to be, you know, a, a couple of years before we can analyze data and, and get some sense out of it, eh, to see what have we done, have we done it right, or where can we do it better? Yeah, I do think yeah. that's the benefit of a registry, eh, that you can really track um, everything from, you know, the minute the patient says, I'm, agrees to be part of the screening program until, you know, you stop screening and what happens in between. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just think this is one of the areas, I mean, there's a, you know, as we've sort of talked throughout this podcast series, there's a, a ton of questions, you know, about, you know, many aspects of implementation. But to me, this is one of, you know, probably, you know, maybe this and, sort of uh, the questions around, you know, smoking cessation and are we making people smoke more actually with screening. But but those questions are really the, the sort of crux of the harms that we can cause with screening. Mm -hmm. And so I really think we need to pay really close attention to this to this aspect. And then I guess the last question I'll ask is, you know, uh, there was a really low rate of surgical complications in the NLST. And I think there, uh, it was, that was at least, at least partially due to the fact that screening patients are healthier than non-screened patients, you know, that who've um, been studied in other, uh, you know, sort of case series or cohort studies, um, um, you know, for people with lung cancer. So, you know, essentially that there was a healthy volunteer bias in the NLST. And so in, in each of your programs, do you have an upper limit for surgical complications that you would tolerate? And are you actually monitoring those rates of surgical complications? So, Chris, I want to just jump in and say one other thing about um, the l low rate of complications. So, you know, you mentioned um, screened versus non-screened patients in terms of how the cancer was diagnosed and what the expected uh, surgery might be. I think it's also, again, like the NLST, they had um, – I think the fact that these were um, subjects who were participating in a clinical trial, um, there are studies now that have come out, like sort of comparing the NLST to, um, you know, people who would be eligible in the real world. And I think we can expect that, um, you know, real-world participants in screening are likely going to be sicker than patients who are participating in a, in a randomized trial like the NLST. Um, and also, you know, there's likely um, – you know, as we talked about, I think, on one of our earlier um, podcasts in the series, the issue of um, screening people with comorbidities and, you know, how good doctors are when they're making that decision to refer someone for screening about really thinking carefully about what their comorbidities are and whether or not they're going to benefit from screening. So I guess I, I just mean to say that we should probably expect that the um, complications in the real world will be higher than the NLST for lots of reasons for, you know, screening patients are healthier, uh, or sorry, no, that's what you said. <laughs> I said that trial yeah. participants are probably healthier than um, real-world patients, and yeah. that, so, you know, as mentioned earlier, those those are centers of excellence, really highly um, academic, skilled centers um, that may not, we, we can probably expect higher complication rates in the real world. I do think it's something we should be monitoring in screening programs, again, what the complication rates are, because as you said, it's really important to understand what the harms of screening are, as well as the benefits. Right. Yeah. 
Well, I think my sense is that the you know in screened patients the complications rates are probably going to be higher than they were in the in LST, but they should yeah. be lower than what we've seen in you know observational studies that have used either you know kind of single center. Uh, reports or uh, probably more uh, generalizable of, you know, like uh, um, large database uh, reports of complications that have been done with, you know, like the SEER registry or the National Cancer Database. So, right. so my sense is the, the right rate is somewhere in between, um, but but hopefully closer to NLST, right, if we're going to actually, you know, sort of minimize the harms and maximize the benefits of screening. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion today. If you're interested in the papers we talked about today, Dr. Wiener's study of biopsies was in the Annals of Internal Medicine in August 2011. For our next edition, we're going to talk about the future of lung cancer screening. Please pretend that you heard that in a uh, very deep James Earl Jones voice instead of my own. It will be our last podcast, and we hope it will be the best one yet. You'll get to hear me say, my hope for the future is to you know sort of learn maybe from some of the mistakes we've made in other cancer screenings. Until next time.